0: If you have your scriptures, open them to James chapter 1. We're going to finish up this morning, and as I said, uh, I wanted to leave this particular section, this particular subject, to its own sermon, its own time for us to talk, because it is very, very difficult, but I think it's of preeminent uh, importance in our lives because it touches everyone uh, very deeply, and that is the... This intersection, we talked a little bit about it last week, of trials and perhaps suffering that goes along with trials. Every trial doesn't have suffering, uh, but some trials do have intense suffering. But almost any trial that we undergo is very personal. It can hurt us deeply and, and cause us a lot of confusion. And James is going to address something this morning. We introduced it last week, but I'm going to finish it hopefully this morning. Uh, and that is the whole issue of how to get your head around the idea that a good God, a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-benevolent, uh, not only allows trials, sends trials, but has allowed this, this whole existence of evil and suffering in our world. Huge question. I'm only going to touch the very surface of it, but I hope that you will uh, not leave here today without some questions answered. And if you have any others, you should come and see me. Because this will wreck your life. If you don't work through it. It will absolutely wreck you. And I'll explain that in a moment. So let's look at James. And we're just going to start reading in chapter nine or chapter 1. There's no chapter 9 in James. Uh, start with verse 9 and we'll go through verse 18. Or actually... Uh, no. Well, let's just go, and I'll stop when I need to. Okay? Uh, and it's printed in your bulletin by the whole chapter is. So uh, let's let's go. Uh, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching. Heat And withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those that love him. Let those let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully con- grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, My Beloved. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, the last couple weeks we've been talking about these three things that are kind of in this little section of James at the beginning, and he'll return to them as we get into the the book proper. The whole chapter 1 is an introduction and Almost every theme in fact i 've been able to track every theme in the first chapter is then extended and played out, spun out, if you will, in the in the balance of the book, two through five so it 's good for us to spend a little bit of time here in the beginning to lay some foundations, otherwise uh, some of it may get by you, and I know that you know sermons are hard to listen to sometimes. Uh, and so try to try to listen, and i 'll point out the parts that are especially crucial. This is a human condition; we need to all understand it uh, and between between these verses, twelve and eighteen is this very difficult but imperative it 's a command these they 're troubling verses, and it 's the crux I think of many of our problems, and that is Um, how in the world does a good God permit the things He permits in this world? The evil, the suffering, the trials, the things that go on sometimes are overwhelming. How could this be? And why is it like that? So we've looked at assessing. James says, ask for wisdom. So you've got to ask for wisdom because He doesn't want you not to think about it. He wants you to go deep and think deeply about these things. And consider what it is. And that's something that Christianity is good at. That's one of the things we excel at, is we do have good and reasonable answers for problems in people's lives. Now sometimes they may leave you a little below totally satisfied. And that's by design, because you are not God, and so therefore you couldn't possibly understand everything. But you can understand enough to where you can move through your life with joy... Not being happy all the time, but with a current of strong joy and perseverance and faith in your Lord Jesus. And that's where He is taking us. So a wise assessment of self, we talked about this last week, that the Bible in general presents this upside down kingdom. It's, it's, everything is in reverse in Scripture and it goes counter to our culture it goes counter to our humanity and particularly in a place like the United States where we have inalienable rights and we've been conditioned to believe that we have you know have rights that are just granted from somewhere out there in ether uh, or that all these rights that we have can be found in the Bible which some of them can and some really cannot the kingdom of God is upside down the first the Bible says, will be last. To find your life, you must lose it. To defeat your enemy, you must love and serve Him. This, and I gave you a whole list of others. The, the, the Bible is replete with this. It's very difficult. But that's what you're called to. That's nothing less than basic 101 Christianity. Either take it or leave it. But if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you've got to own this. This is you. And no excuses. Oh, well, you don't know what happened to me. It does not matter. And the reason I can say that is because look what happened to Jesus. Every other thing in your life and my life must be measured against that. And if you have a good grip on what happened to that man, for you, as you, on our behalf, everything else will then take its proper place in orbit around that. Get that wrong, and everything else is out of whack. And it will show. It will show up in our lives, it will show up in our relationships. And uh, believe me, it's not, it's not worth it. And so as Christians, we are to strive constantly towards that target of making Jesus Christ Lord of everything, whatever happens. Okay, wealth, status, position, appearance, education, personal reputation, whatever it is, cannot provide you with the lasting worth that you need, the dignity that you need, because all those things can be taken away. Family can be taken away. Your your freedom in the United States could be taken away. You think it can't, but it can. It's hubris to think it cannot be taken away. There's nothing that cannot be taken away from us. And so we must be the kind of people that are are strong in our faith and put our anchors down deep in that soil because we don't know what will happen, what may come, what phone call you may get, what diagnosis you may have from the doctor. Uh, Come home one day and your wife says goodbye or your husband says I'm done with you or your children are off the rails. Whatever the case is. Or the stock market drops. Could be anything. They can be taken away. Some of these things are taken away for our own doing, you know, we're irresponsible with our money or what have you. James knows that the external things will either serve you or enslave you. And if you're honest with yourself, we are constantly being tempted to become slaves to other things. That's what idolatry is. And anything can be an idol. And we've always got to have our radar up, be looking for it, and be ready to go to warfare with it because it will indeed trap you and take you down. Our wealth, for the Christian, listen, our wealth, our treasure is in heaven. Our worth, greater love has no one than this, that he give his life from his friends. You are my friends. Find your worth in that. Our status, the last shall be first. Okay, if you don't get the promotion, it's okay if your marriage is a little rocky, it's okay if your kids aren't perfect. Parents, it's okay. You weren't perfect and you're not perfect and you never will be perfect. Right? Somebody say amen and you know, give me some feedback. You know, I'm, I'm very nervous. I don't want to talk about this. I'd much rather tell you that Jesus is all hunky-dory. That's easy. This is hard. Our security. Where do you find your security? I will never leave you or forsake you. Put your roots down in that soil. Nothing can touch you. So, Jesus wore, I gave you this wonderful quote by Dan Doriani, Dr. Doriani at Covenant. Jesus wore the crown of thorns so that all who believe will and can receive the crown of life. And that is the promise. And we are to persevere as we go to that goal. Through, through the storms, whatever the world dumps on us. Okay, so let's talk about three things this morning. We're going to look at self and playing the blame game. Everybody does this. Some, to a, some are experts at it. I myself hold a PhD in victimology. Uh, you, you can you can play the blame game, and uh, you will you will crash and burn. We're going to look at sin, and the sin that he's talking about is blaming God and turning away from Him, and then finding something else that will satisfy uh, that. Pain or hurt or what have you in your life. And then finally, running to Jesus. So let's do this quickly, and I do hope, and I extend the, the offer once again, that theologically these can be challenging. And that's what I'm here for. That's what your elders are here for. We can bring theological clarity to many of these questions, and you should avail yourself of that. If you don't, it's on you. The offer's been made repeatedly. If you have the deep theological questions about the existence of evil and all this other crazy stuff, spend some time with me or with one of your pastors and we'll, we'll give you our answers. They may or may not satisfy you. But don't go away and just point your finger at God because that is dangerous and that is what James is, puts it right in the front, up front. Don't you blame God for your troubles. So Listen. Let's look at the blame game. Look at 13. Let no one say, "I'm being tempted by God because God can He gives you a reason. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does He tempt anyone." Very clearly. All right? Why would James say this? Why is he leading with this? This is verse 13 in 107 verses of this, Bible, of this book. Why would he say that? Because he knows that if you do begin your life or any, su- any trial, any trouble, any suffering in your life, if you begin it by pointing your finger at God, you will be shipwrecked. In fact, he says if it plays itself completely out, you will perish, you will die. So we can't take this lightly. I'd be the worst pastor in the world and I'm not, I'm the best pastor in the world. There you go, now we're talking. <laughs> you guys got to learn my humor. Like, I, I would be irresponsible if I didn't tell you. Don't blame him. Trust him. You say, yeah, but you don't know. I don't need to know. You don't know about me either. Right? You don't. We all have our stories and we all have our pain. And nobody's is unique. Some are severe and some are just whatever. But once you start going down that road, you're going to death. You're going to destruction. And I'm begging you to listen. This could transform the way you live your Christian life in relationship with this person, Jesus Christ. Christianity is not an abstraction. It's not an abstract religion like all the others in the world. This is personal and relational. We are in a relationship with a human being. His name is Jesus. You either have it or you don't. There's no one foot in, one foot out. You either go all in with Him or you just walk away. And do not take the Lord's Supper. Do you hear me? Don't do it. When you drink that, you're drinking poison if your heart is not completely given to Him. Well, I'm, I'm only halfway there. Don't take it. That's why we warn everybody at the beginning of the, service, or at the, beginning of the liturgy for communion. Don't take it if, it's, if this is not you. Now, if you're a mess... Well, I'm kind of messed up. I, yeah, I'll come and take it. That's where you find answers. Does it make sense? I hope it does. This word for temptation is it can, it's synonymous with the word trial, it's synonymous with the word test. And it, it's in Greek, I told you what it was last week, it's perasmos. Perasmos. And it's a very interesting word, but it has very nuanced meanings. The meaning, it gets its meaning from its context. You have to look at the context to know whether it's a test or whether it's a trial or whether it's a temptation. Okay? If you don't, then it's the same word. So you've got to look at it. When perasmos is used with an evil or hostile intent, in other words it's a trap. In other words, God is if God was doing that, he would be setting up a something for you to trip on, something for you to fall on, some way to trick you or trap you like Satan does. And the same word could be used, but that is not. It's with an evil intent. So therefore, you're to understand that word as what we say is a temptation. When parasmos is used with favorable intent, in other words, God knows he's gonna, this trial is going to come and it will produce patience, endurance, strength of character. It will take you through the struggle and the trial. Then, then that is good for you and so then you call it a trial or a test. And believe me, God's not testing you to find out something He doesn't already know. But you know as well as I do, that uh, if you're going to fight somebody with a sword, have you ever seen, the? you remember uh, uh, Errol Flynn? Maybe three of us remember Errol Flynn. You know, he was one of these guys that danced around in tights in early Hollywood days, and we all went, ooh, that's so, I want to be him. Not anymore. Not in tights. <laughs> but he would pull out his sword, and you know, they would go like this with the sword, right? You know why they did that? They did it because they were t- trying or testing the blade. Make sure it doesn't break because I'm going to go kill the, the sheriff of Nottingham or what have you. Testing is good. You Make sure it's going to be okay for the, for the thing that's being tested. Abra- God didn't find out anything about Abraham. He didn't know. But Abraham found out something he didn't know. Even if I sacrifice my son Isaac, God will raise him from the dead. Which the writer of Hebrews says, is a figure for us so that we understand that nothing in our hand is. should we hold anything with a tight grip, let it go because God will raise it from the dead. The resurrection is our hope, not the circumstances of your trial. Okay? Perosmos. I told you last week, when does a trial become a test? When it intersects your faith, when it when a trial tests your faith, then it is a trial and it's personal. Trials are just history, they're just what's happening. But when they intersect your faith and they become personal, they hurt you. Now you're talking about a test. And James says, Count it all joy when that happens. Don't be joyful, just count it as joy and fight back. Show some guts, some grit. Not in yourself, but in the one who died for you. Latch onto him in your weakness. Cry out to him. Fall. Do not he comes right up, follows it up with thirteen. Keep it all in context, folks. He says, Don't blame him. Shipwreck. Okay. Eve blamed who? Who did Eve blame? The serpent. Who did Adam blame? Eve. We have been doing this forever. We are blame shifters. The temptation is to do three things. Let me give them to you quickly. One is to excuse your sin. One is to indulge your sin. And one is to assuage your sin. Even if you are completely innocent of having done anything wrong and some terrible trial comes into your life and everything goes sideways and you're wondering what in the world is going on, Sin is crouching at the door. And you must resist it. You must resist the temptation to blame God. How do we do that? How do we excuse our sin? I just told you, Adam and Eve blamed somebody else. So blame shifting is a whole thing. Many of you know what that is. We, we, immediately, the reaction is to get the thing off of us. Because it hurts. Why wouldn't you? So we push it off. And very often we push it off onto others around us, our spouse, our kids, our circumstances, the color of our skin, our bank account, our education, Ah, you name it. My hormones, they're out of control, so I guess, you know, whatever. And I'm not belittling any of that. Believe me, I've wrestled with it. The hormones not so much anymore. I'm old. But other things take their place that are worse. Believe it. Okay. Blame shifting. Blame somebody, something. Even God. We'll talk about that in a second. There's a temptation, there's a a test that can become a sin. Are you listening? It'll become a sin if you indulge your sin and play the victim. This is victimology. We are great at it. Human beings are great. Read your Bibles, my goodness. It's amazing how human beings love to play the victim. And you see it in Cain, the, the, the uh, son of Adam and Eve, right away you see he's pity, having a pity party over himself. Poor me. Uh, you've, you, you know, you stopped me from. You know, you caught me in murdering my brother. Oh dear! You caught me murdering my brother, and now you're going to punish me. But you're not really going to punish me completely. You're going to be kind of nice. You're going to put a mark on me, so nobody will kill me. But that's not fair. Do you hear that? Do you hear it in yourself? I hear it in myself. You know, so I can't only speak for for me. Here's what we say to indulge our sin, to play the victim. You hurt me. You let me get into this mess. You stuck me in this situation. Whatever. It's your fault. I blame you. And I'll do and say and act out and... and Anything I want, now the gloves are off. I can be as reckless and as careless with my life as I want. My wife cheated on me, so I'm going to go have an affair with the next one. You slapped me, I'm going to slap. You stole my goods, I'm going to take your goods. You you uh, messed with me and my job, I'm going to mess with you and your job. On and on and on it goes. And all the time we claim this Savior who said, The reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. Don't you dare take his name to your life until you deal with that. Yes? Don't you dare. Say, I'm a Christian. No. You're a Christian when you're ready to break completely. You go down on the ground and you say, Anything. I bring nothing take my life now some of you've been there some of you know what i'm talking about that for those of you that know about alcoholics anonymous that's rock bottom when you get to rock bottom you will find jesus there not your poor so, poor sorry self you want to go to rock bottom you will find him and when you find him at rock bottom then you're no, in fact you will never get to rock bottom because he won't let you now, if you don't belong to him, expect to bump your head. But if you do, you'll be caught up and held up from rock bottom because he went there for you. That is the guess. Folks, that is Christianity 101. Okay? So we can indulge our sin. Look what you may or like the psycho in the movies, you see them all the time. You know, like a, a parent who's severely abusing a child and tells the child, listen, look what you made me do. I slapped you across the room and broke your arms. Look what you made me do. Or the husband that that slashes his wife to pieces because she's not doing every little thing he says and, and tells her, look what you made me do. You made me do that. That's victimology on the the supreme side. But look at yourself and say, where am I doing that? To the people around me. And for goodness sakes, at the end of the day, sometimes we actually blame God. Look what you made me do, God. Trials and suffering and all that is never, listen to me, and I'm going to say never, never a license to sin. You understand? There's never an excuse. say, well, you know, they didn't, no, no. Never a license for it. Now you may have to do it. And, like if a Nazi comes to your door and says, Are there any Jews in there? What are you going to do? Lie. Lie with a straight face. No, there's no Jews in here. Check, check around. There's no Jews here. That's righteousness. See, you, we, we need to learn to make the difference. Right? Everybody Okay. Okay, I don't want to get anybody upset, although I do. I really do. And I hope you will take it as... Uh, because nothing I'm telling you is not something that I haven't been through personally. V, my kids, I could tell you. I'm not going to, but I could tell you stuff that would make you run for your life. Uh, anyway. Thirdly, to assuage our pain. Now this is, this is sensitive because sometimes we get so hurt, so wounded... You know, like Paulette, she lost her daughter. I mean, wh- wow. You know, what are you going to do with something like that? There are some situations that are so hurtful, so painful, emotionally and personally, that there are just no, I mean, y- y- you're in shock. You're, 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 you're not able to get your footing under you could be an instant, like getting the, the dreaded phone call, your child is dead, or, or the doctor tells you, like, I've had several times now, I'm sitting there and, you know, I think nothing's a problem, out they come, and bang, and in a matter of seconds, the worst thing in the world you can imagine is dropped on you, and you're just, you're in shock, you're like a deer in the headlights, right? You, you just, wow, what is going on? Then there's this chronic, deep, deep pain that's just always there, it's like, never lets up the pressure and you're just in a pressure cooker and it can be incredibly and 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 so we we are tempted to sin in blaming the circumstances to blaming the universe the cosmos whatever it is and blaming God listen Trials and suffering often bring intense pain, misery, heartache that is so deep, so personal that we go into a kind of shock, a PTSD, a severe physical, psychological, emotional, spiritual breakdown. We begin to lash out at other people. Maybe you've had this happen where somebody is really hurting and you're not going to give them any platitudes. You just go up to hug them. And what do they do? They're so mad, they start beating on you. And you know, we back up and think, oh wow, they've really got a problem. Let them hit you. Let them fall into your arms with all their grief. We pounded our Savior down into the ground and made Him dust. And He took it, every bit of it, to the dirt, to the dust, to the grave. Not so you wouldn't have these sufferings in your life, but so you could. And trust Him. Wow. We begin to lash out at people, circumstances, faith, the universe, even God. I'm innocent, I've done nothing to deserve this horrific circumstance, and often that's true. We're like Job. And it's okay. Let me tell you, it is okay to ask why. It's okay to beat your chest. It's okay to rip your clothes. It's okay to throw dust on your head. It's okay to take the shards of the pottery and scrape your wounds. It's okay. That's okay. But to blame God, to turn away from Him... To shake your fist in His face and say, you know what, I but he blah, 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 and whatever you want to say, you are committing a sin. Now you're in sin. The trial didn't come because you sinned, but now you're sinning. Do not do that. You have a will. You have a will that is free. Jesus Christ bought that will for you. Use it to say no to that kind of behavior. Don't be a petulant child and stamp your foot and say, I'm mad at you. It's like, the, you know, you take your kids to the doctor and, and, and you're holding them down so they can get their shot and they're looking up at you with these terrible recriminations, right? No, no, it's your fault, I'm here, you know. Little do they know you're saving their life, right? If a test, listen, this is Dan Doriani again. His commentary is terrific on James. If a test becomes a temptation, listen, if a test becomes a temptation... It is sinful nature that makes it so. If a trial comes into your life and it becomes a and it and you see it as a temptation or it's God's fault, you're sinning. Now, I know, but I don't like to say that. I know it's hard, especially in our world. We don't even believe in sin anymore, but uh, yeah, it, it it's a sin. Don't turn away from Him. You can, but look what He says will happen: running away to our desires. In other words, there's something that's in you. And we all have this called idolatry. He uses the word epithemia, which is the Greek word, and ed- I don't think you ought to learn Greek unless you really want to. Uh, believe me, it's not that great to know it. Uh, but epithemia is over desire. It's an unhealthy desire for something other than God. Could be anything. Could be your Reformed doctrine. Could be our, our John Calvin Institutes. Could be any number of things. An over desire makes it an idol. It brings it into the room where God should be alone, just you and him. And it brings it into the room, and he does not want anybody competing or anything competing with him. He is supreme. It's like adultery. It's like bringing another person uh, into our marriage or a marriage. Each person, listen to what these verses say. It's just, it is a study in brilliant psychology of how sin works in our lives. Look at what he says, 14, 15. Each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed, in other words, the the the, the bait is, is held out like a like a bait to a fish by his own desire, epithymia. It, it, those are normal the, to have those is normal. What we do with them, here it comes. The desire then becomes, it's conceived. In other words, it's not just looked at. It's brought in and the, 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 the sperm and the egg are united and they become a zygote. They become a thing that has a life of its own. And then you nurture it and you let it grow. It gives birth. Look what he says. It gives birth to what? Sin. It can't help itself. That's all its DNA is. There's no other DNA in there sin and sin if you let it grow you nurture it and keep it going it leads you to death you will die physically emotionally who knows? i mean spiritually i don't know i don't want to go there but nevertheless desires in themselves are not evil it's what you do with them it's what you do with them how you approach them i love certain things with all my might and there's nothing wrong with that until I make that ultimate, till I make it a thing in and of itself and it has a life of its own and it competes with Jesus in my heart and life. In other words, if it was taken away from me, I can't be me. And I'm, I've got enough mileage on my life, folks. That's just uh, less and less of those things anymore. I went to see one of my doctors this week. I have a whole fleet of doctors now. I never had one doctor. Now I have a whole... Uh, a whole flock, a fleet, a herd, a gaggle. I've got all kinds of doctors. And I never know what they're going to say. And I, you know, it's not that I don't care. I do care. I want to live. I want to be here for years to come so I can just berate the devil out of you. Like Gary said, bad dog, bad dog. Right? I hope you don't feel like I'm doing that. But nevertheless, think about it. We live on a hair. The, the, the coronavirus, we could all get it. Are you going to trust the Lord? Or are you going to just freak out in your mind? And, and if it got bad, two weeks' food is not enough. Somebody say amen. Two weeks' food is not enough. Two, two months' food is not enough. Two years of food is not enough. Nothing's enough. But Jesus, He's enough. And the history of the church is replete with Christians running into the flaming building, running into the danger, running into the Colosseum, exposing their, their, their lives to the death and destruction around them for the sake of others. The history of the church, is, that is when we are at our best. is when we're not afraid and we're out there helping and serving and taking care of those that have the black plague. But there's something about it. I don't know what it is. We want to hunker and bunker. and I'm not saying be stupid, but come on. Are you hearing me? Yeah. I hope so. Okay. Here's the pattern. This is it. I gave it to you back in Genesis. She saw. She took. She ate. And she gave. Everything you need to know, really, is in Genesis one through three of the rest of the Bible. She saw, she took, she ate, she gave, and sowed a whirlwind into this world. Her husband with her, ate with her? Sure. And off we go. And we do it all the time, every day. We see, we take, we eat, we take it in.. Eh. And then we're surprised when the whirlwind comes. Okay. So finally, what's the answer to all this? Don't be, he says in 16, look at it. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's my job. I'm supposed to spend my week looking deeply into these things, dealing with my own junk, and I do. I deal with my own junk, and I say, Okay, how can I go to Christ the King on Sunday morning and tell you something that will actually help you? And you must not be deceived. You can't listen to the... The world is lying to us constantly. I don't care if you're getting it from CNN or Fox News. They're both lying. Everybody's lying. Jesus tells you the truth. Go to Him, and then you will be able to go watch Fox News, or CNN, or MSNBC. You may not want to do that. But you go to any number of uh, news, and you can listen, and you'll be able to discern, and you have wisdom, and you'll be a wise person. You can be helpful, and you can be this. But I'll tell you what, if you don't become a wise person, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, and listen to it. James, this is all wisdom literature. And James, he's telling us, be wise. Especially when you face trials. Especially when you face trouble be wise and look what he says how does he give us an answer he is so he, uh, you got to love this guy i mean he's jesus brother he had a he had to step up on all of us right man go read his story you won't say that Look at seventeen, eighteen. Every good, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights. Saying, "No, He's not the author of temptation. He's not out there trying to trick you and trap you and and do all this. No, He's the Father of Lights. It, the good gifts that we have in our life are coming down to us. They're not just something innate that you just happen to have or that you all on your own. What if you were born in the, in the in, in What if you were born?" Five miles from here in Watis in one of the dumps, one of the cardboard house places. What if that would you be here today? Would you be who you are? Would you have a four hundred one K? For goodness sakes. How crazy are we? We've lost our ever loving minds. Now you all are silent, but I can hear the angels shouting Amen. We're out of our ever-loving minds if we think things have just dropped on us out of the cosmos. That is insane. We have what we have because God is good to us. And if we understood that, take it in. It will transform who you are. It will change who you are. You start looking outside of your house. How can I make this a better place? I went this week and heard Itzhak Perlman. Did any of you go to the concert? Itzhak Perlman? Oh my gosh. If you don't believe in God, go listen to Him play the violin. You will believe in God. Amazing. How are we so dull, my friends? I don't know. Every good and perfect gift came down from above from the Father of lights. There has no variation, no shadow of turning. He means good to you no matter what comes your way, no matter how the chips fall, no matter what deck of cards you've been dealt. He means good to you. And you know that He means good to you because you have His Son. If you don't have His Son, then you've got to question, what in the world is He doing? But if you have His Son, there's no reason to question what He's doing. At least not to the extent that you blame Him. But you draw in near. You get close. You go in tight. Because He's coming in tight. He's not going away. He's not running. not pulling back. He's coming in, no shadow, no variation. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth. He gave us birth. He renewed us. We are who we are because of Him by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. That means that we are His children. We are the best, the most prized, the most loved of all creation. And folks, I know this may sound like pie in the sky, but someday when you die, when you die, you're either going to just go into the grave and not know anymore, and your body's going to decay, and that's the end. Or you are going to be aware. And what we are told is, as you look back, that the, the glory that you're going to, I can't even I can hardly say it. The glory that you're going to experience is going to make every other pain and heartache that you've experienced pale. Because the people you've lost, the things you've lost, the good you lost, the things you wish you had had, they're all going to come together and you will have him and with him everything else. Christianity is amazingly bold. It says you cannot lose. All he asks is that you trust Him. If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? He's asking. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, Working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look only to your own interest. Don't try to impress others. Take on the interests of others. Have The same attitude in you that was in our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was God, He did not consider being equal with God. Listen carefully. He did not consider being equal with God as something to be latched on and held on to. But instead, He emptied Himself and took on our flesh. He clothed Himself with the same frailty that you and I have when He was outside Lazarus' grave. He was weeping because Lazarus was dead. It's crazy we don't see these things. His friend was dead. A man that can feel that can feel what you have and lift you out of it. Whatever it is. And we know because He had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so He will. Though God He didn't call equality with God something to be held on or cling to or latched on, instead He gave up His divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, born as a human being, clothed Himself with humanity. When He appeared in human form, He humbled Himself to obedience to God, even to the obedience of death, and then He goes to the, to the superlative, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted Him, gave Him a place above every name, the name of Jesus, Lord of Lords. You know folks, uh, there comes a time I think in every one of our lives where you, you have to just turn off all the social media, get out of everything, get quiet, spend a few minutes with no input, And ask God to forgive you for ever failing to trust Him. Now tomorrow you will fail to trust Him again. You'll need to ask again. But there comes a time when you draw a line in the sand. Will somebody please agree with that? You draw a line in the sand sometime. And you may have to draw it over and over again, but you draw that line in the sand and you say, No, here I stand. Come what may. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, your word abideth still. Do you believe that? Will you trust him? For goodness sakes, let's do that. If we do it, other people might, and boy, what would this world look like if we all did that? Amazing. Okay? Father, thanks uh, for this time this morning. These are hard things, and I don't know why in the world we ever would blame you, but we do. I think it's just because we're just all about ourselves, but we pray for your mercy, we ask for your forgiveness, and we pray that you'll renew our hearts Uh, once again, both this day and every day as we come to you with our pain and our hurt, our, our anguish, our sorrows, we know that you'll embrace us and help us. We pray that you'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen.